send you next week's questions. So there's, t there, there's 10 study questions that you should get in the email. Uh, and I promise you, if you just spend 30, 40 minutes doing those, you'll be better prepared for this lesson uh, because we cover a lot of material and it's, you know, I can't get into uh, as much detail as I'd like to, but it sure helps you if you've already uh, looked through the Bible and know what's going on. Uh, and then also, the day before, uh, if not on Thursday, usually on Thursday or Monday, or maybe both, you should get a three-page paper on today's lesson. So you should have gotten all that. Hope you did. And uh, if, if, you're, if you're new and you're not on the list, give me your email and we'll put you on it. And um, we'll, we'll be good to go. So uh, today's lesson is in Joshua 1. And the theme in Joshua 1 is just the repetition of the phrase, be strong and courageous. Just like Kramer in this movie clip, <laughs> I, I hope. <laughs> All right. Just a little background uh, to help you understand who Joshua is and what's going on in the book of Joshua. If, you know, just a quick history lesson. You've got in the Old Testament, you've got the first five books which are written by Moses. And this is like the sequel. Joshua's like the sequel to the first five books written by Moses. Uh, the history of Israel, uh, if you trace those first five books, in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, he was the original patriarch, and God promised to give him the land of Canaan, which would become Israel. And then his descendants would become a great nation. And he said, uh, Abraham, God, this is God speaking to him. He said, uh, your descendants will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then I'm going to bring them out. And I'm going to bring them to this land, Canaan. And I'm going to give them this land. So, uh, in that, in Abraham's time, he has a son named Isaac, and he has a son named Jacob. And Jacob uh, and his family got involved in a big famine in the land, and so uh, they were in the land of Canaan. And because of the famine, they migrated to Egypt. There were 70 of them at the end of the book of Genesis that end up in Egypt. And they're there for 400 years, and they become slaves because they're different and they're persecuted. The Pharaoh makes slaves out of them. Uh, they have tremendous, over 400 years, uh, tremendous multiplication of the population. And before you know it, by the, after 400 years, if you do the math, actually, uh, and you like two people per couple, you'll end up with a couple of million people. And that's how many they had after 400 years. And now God sends Moses... If you remember him, you saw the movie, The Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston looked just like him. <laughs> and so he sends Charlton Heston in there to talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh won't let him go. And so God does ten miracles, ten miraculous curses, you might say, on Pharaoh and on Egypt that are so destructive by the end of the tenth one, which is the Passover, the angel of death passes over the firstborn of Egypt. 
Uh, so after that occurs and everybody's lost their children, they are ready to let Israel go. And so Moses leads them out of Egypt towards the promised land. And they uh, get trapped at the Red Sea, if you remember, again, if you saw the movie. And there's the Egyptian army behind them, and there's the Red Sea in front of them and mountains to either side. And they say, what are we going to do now? And Moses says, just stand back and watch. And sure enough, God parts the Red Sea, and they cross it on dry land. I think we've got a couple of maps here that kind of shows the route of the Exodus. And um, first of all, uh, let's look at that timeline, just to tell you uh, generally when all this stuff occurred. I referenced Abraham, and if you can see that from where you are on the uh, far left side of the map, Abraham uh, is around 2166 B.C., uh, very general dates, but that's pretty close. Uh, and then you have Isaac born down here, and then Jacob. Uh, and then you can see down at the bottom, they end up in Egypt. Uh, and then these adding the Pharaoh's name, we don't really know, but that's, again, close enough. It's one of those guys. Um, and then you have uh, 430 years until they come out. And then you can see when they come out, the Exodus at about 1446, right there. When it's where it says Tutmos the, the third, uh, that's who they think is the Pharaoh, but we're, we're not sure, actually. Uh, but we, we believe that the date, 1446, is correct because we can, we're actually told the date of Solomon uh, when he becomes king over here on the far right, and you work it backwards, okay? We're given the dates and how long each one of these things take, and you end up backwards. The Exodus is about 1446. I think that's a pretty good date. Uh, other people, other theologians, uh, because of Egyptian records, they think it was more like 1200 and something. I don't know. But to me, this works a lot better biblically, and that's always where I want to be. <laughs> you have a choice between looking at some Egyptian records that are in some weird language, you know, or the Bible. I think I'll go with the Bible. So uh, they come out of Egypt, and you can see they leave the land of Goshen over here on the far right of the map, and they cross the Red Sea, and they go straight south, uh, down around the Gulf of Suez, and they come down to Mount Sinai down here tip down here near the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, uh, and that's where the nation gathers at the foot of the mountain, and uh, Moses goes up on the mountain, and God speaks to him and gives him the, the Ten Commandments and the law, and he actually speaks directly to all the people. They, they see the glory of God come down, and they hear God's voice. It sounded like thunder, just scared the poop out of them, literally, and they... That's really the beginning of the priesthood because they said, we don't, we don't like the poop scared out of us. And so from now on, have God speak to you, Moses. You act as a mediator, and then you tell us what he said. And so that was really the beginning of the priesthood. Uh, and so they get the law, and they become a nation. When they left, they were just 12 tribes. They were loosely conformed because they were there in slavery together but they were more tribal than anything. 
But down at Mount Sinai, they get, you might say, a constitution with laws of every kind, not only just criminal, but also uh, ceremonial and civil and religious laws at Mount Sinai, and they become a nation of law. Uh, the the uh, government they had is called the theocracy. You know, theos means God. Uh, we live in a democracy. Demos is Greek for people, so people ruled. They lived in a God-ruled nation. And so when they went, they came to God through the priesthood for everything, all the rulings that they needed and the laws that they got came through the priesthood. Um, so they leave Mount Sinai after spending a couple of months there getting uh, all the law of God and all the directions of God. And they had the terrible sin, you know, the golden calf. And uh, that's where we first, uh, uh, where we first see uh, Joshua is after they leave Sukkoth and head for Mount Sinai, uh, they get in a battle with the Amalekites. You know, there's a lot of ites on this journey. You got the Hittites and the Hivites and the Malachites and the Parasites and the Par, you know. <laughs> and so that's our introduction to Joshua. He's the military commander. Moses appoints him as a general and he fights off the Amalekites. And uh, when they get down to Mount Sinai, Joshua actually goes up on the mountain with, he's now the assistant, the servant assistant. To Moses, he goes up and, and gets the tablets of stone with Moses. He comes down from the mountain after 40 days, he, Joshua and Moses together, and they hear this incredible noise. And at first Joshua thinks there must be, there's so much noise, there must be a battle going on, you know. What it actually is, is an orgy. Very much like some of the fraternity parties you guys went to. Don't, don't act horrified, I know you. And so they, they come down and they're having this giant orgy and they've got an idol that they've made and Moses, you know, is just beside himself, you know, and God wants to destroy him and Moses has to intercede for them. They're in the wilderness and because of his intercession, God forgives them and they have to make sacrifices. And that is when God gave them what we have, the, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus is actually the formation of the priesthood as the intermediary of God and people in order to make the blood sacrifices. You know, when he gave them the uh, Ten Commandments and the law, if they'd have just kept it, the Bible would have ended right there. Right there, it would have ended right there in Exodus, and it would have said, have a nice life and everything will be cool because you kept the law. But they didn't keep it. And because people were proven to be sinners, God had to provide the means by which their sin could be atoned for. And that was the blood sacrifices of an innocent, innocent blood from the innocent animal, which was a type, a type, a prefigure of the perfect sacrifice that would come later, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. So God said, I'm going to give you temporary blood sacrifices until the perfect comes. And God, knowing that the perfect was coming, he was able and willing 
to forgive their sins in the past and present and, of course, the future as well for us. All right? So they, they put all that together there at Mount Sinai, and now they take off for the promised land. God says, okay, now go straight for the southern boundary of what will be Israel. It was called Canaan at that time. And they go up. If you see with the... Yeah. See the uh, wilderness of Paran right above that? Kadesh? Kadesh? Try one of the other maps. Yeah, right, there you go. See where the little red dot is? That's the southern boundary of Canaan at that time. The rest of that Sinai Peninsula is straight desert. If you're wondering, you know, what's the deal with that? That is just absolute wilderness desert. I've been through there. Took a nice camping trip. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, we drove through on a bus. Lizards can't live there. <laughs> that's, that's how rough it is. Uh, and so they come to the, the border there at Kadesh Barnea, and you can find this in Numbers chapter 13. So they get there, and uh, Moses says, okay, I want one scout or spy, call him whatever you want, from each tribe, and I want you to go into the land and map it out. So 12 men, represented each, tri each tribe of Israel, goes into the land from there at Kadesh Barnea, and they roam all about the land. They go all the way up there uh, north. You can see at the far north side, uh, barely make out the uh, Sea of Galilee, way up there in the top. Uh, and they go all the way up there and scout the whole thing out and come back. They spend, you know, most of a year doing this, but when they get back to the camp there at Kadesh, uh, 10 of the 12 spies say, uh-uh, we ain't going in there. Those people are big. They're big, they're tough. Everybody in there looks like Shaquille O'Neal. We can't, there's no way we can whip those guys. Plus they have, they have iron, they have steel swords. All we got is flint knives. That's the truth. We'll see that in the coming weeks. All they had was flint knives to fight with. And the Canaanites uh, had iron. And they had shields and they had spears and arrows and the whole deal. You know, they're advanced. Uh, and they've got fortified cities. How can we ever take these cities? Got big, thick walls. This, this, there's no way we can do this. So 10 of the 12 just told their people we can't do it. Only Joshua... And Caleb said, what are you people thinking? God has commanded us to go in and take the land. We've got to do it. God is with us. Weren't you there when he did all those miracles back in Egypt? What did you think when you saw the Red Sea parted? Will God not also help us take the land that he has commanded us? Do you not have any faith? And those ten guys said, no. <laughs> So they wouldn't go in. So God said, I tell you what, I'm going to destroy these people. Once again, Moses intercedes. And God says, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. This generation will not go into the land. I'm going to have you wander in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone 
that's 20 years old or older dies out. And then your children will all go in. So it's the second generation of Israel that got to go into the land. Okay? So before Joshua begins, at the end of Deuteronomy, you have uh, the nation of Israel. Go back to the map for a minute. So the nation of Israel uh, is going to wander around down there in that Sinai area for the 40 years. And then when they've all died off and only the children you know, who have now grown up after, the, after that time are going to go up now. Uh, there you go. That's, that was a good one. Either one of those. And you can see the red, yeah, up there. They're going to go on the east side of the boundary, the east side of the Jordan River, up there where you can see Jericho and Mount Nebo. So the whole nation, like I said, about 2 million people, uh, still led by Moses, is going to go up there, across the river Jer of the Jordan River from Jericho, right there, and they're going to camp. You can imagine how big a camp that they would have. I mean, it probably uh, went like 10 to 15 miles in every direction for t 10 million people, two, mi 2 million people to be uh, camped out there. And by the way, how'd you like to go on a camping trip with, with your family and two, other, two million other people in the desert for 40 years? They were probably in a bad mood. So they're camped out there, and now the book of Deuteronomy, which means in Greek, second reading of the law, uh, is Moses' last sermons to that new generation. So he's got them there at the river, and Moses gives them four sermons. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. He repeats the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws, and then he commissions them to, and, and commands them as God's spokesman to go into the land, cross the river, go into the land. And he says, I can, I'm not going with you. I'm old. I'm going to die. But Joshua now is your new leader. So you have this transition in leadership from Moses to Joshua. And at the end of Deuteronomy, he brings him up and he points him out to the people and said, now, from now on, God will be blessing Joshua and you will follow him and obey him. So Moses then goes up on Mount Nebo. You can see it up there on the east side of the Dead Sea where the Red Deal is. Uh, he goes up on Mount Nebo and he passes away. And now in chapter 1 of Joshua, you have Joshua and the children of Israel all camped out on the east side of the Jordan River. And so uh, that's the beginning of our lesson today in Joshua chapter 1. And as, as you look at it, uh, by the end of the uh, Torah, which is the five books of the Bible that I just kind of breezed through there, um, Israel, again, has been made into a nation. They have a covenant relationship with the Lord, and they've become a nation of united people, not just 12 tribes, but now they're all together. Um, and now that they're organized and led by God, and God has given them uh, the law to live by, they have a government and laws to live by, they're still outside the promised land on the plains of Moab east of the Jordan River. Uh, so the book of Joshua 
is a transition from this 40-year camp out to getting to go into their own land and have fixed homes to live in and to own their own land. They had lived in slums in Egypt and tents in the wilderness, but now they will have a permanent home there in the land. And uh, what was that passage there? Here's a problem that people have. In Deuteronomy 20, also Deuteronomy 7, and several other places, Moses told them, here's the deal. When you go into the land, you have to wipe out every Canaanite. Leave no one alive. Clean house. And of course, over the years, as people have read this, they go, well, this isn't fair. You know, that sounds like genocide. And I know some real nice Canaanites, and they don't deserve that. <laughs> and so I was actually in a Bible study in, uh, way back when, you know, in like in the 70s. And it was the first time I'd ever heard any of this. And the guy was telling this, and this lady raised her hand and says, that doesn't sound fair. I mean, the God I uh, know and believe in is a God of love. He wouldn't slaughter a whole nation of people. And uh, unfortunately, the guy really didn't have an answer for it. But I do. <laughs> so you need me for something, right? <laughs> so why would that be fair? Didn't in, the, uh, in uh, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? Yes. So what's the deal? Well, let's kind of go through it. Uh, first of all, we know that God made the land, and he's sovereign over all of his creation. He owns it, so he's got the right to, to drive out evil people and give it to whomever he chooses. Secondly, uh, it's not the command in that, that Jesus gives is to people who are sinners, Right? So we don't judge other people lest we be judged. You know, we're sinners, so we don't have the right to judge people. But God does. And God's giving the command. And what Moses tells them in Leviticus 18 is these people are so rotten. They are so evil. They make Sodom and Gomorrah look like choir boys. <laughs> Not kidding. Then in Leviticus 18... He lists all the sins that he can think of because he says at the end, and many more. But he lists a whole chapter of their sins. And if you, I won't read it for you. You'll, you can go back and read it, look it up, Leviticus 18. But I mean, they're having sex with everything that moves. I mean, it's unbelievable. Bestiality, pedophilia, uh, every kind of incest. They were awful. And as he goes through all these horrible things they do, every kind of crime that you can think of, he gets to the end and he says, and they even did infant sacrifices. That kind of finishes them off in my view. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking. And, and you know, God told Abraham 600, 600 700 years before that when I'm going to bring your people into the land, I'm not going to give it to you now because the Canaanites are there. 
But in the future, at some point, they're going to become so evil that I must judge them. Very much like God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Wiped them out. Because they were that evil. They were so evil, they were irretrievable, hopeless. And so God is judging them. He's not only giving the land to the Israelites, but he's judging the Canaanites at the same time. He's using Israel as his instrument of judgment. All right? Uh, Also, you need to know that God's application of his command allowed for the Canaanites to surrender, believe, and become proselytes. He doesn't say that in this passage, so naturally we jump to the conclusions. But when we get into the book of Joshua, you will see that Rahab in chapter 2 believes in the God of Israel and she becomes a proselyte and she repents of all that idolatry and comes to the Lord, so she's spared. And then a couple of chapters later, the Gibeonites, four cities of people are spared. Because they believe in the God of Israel and they become proselytes. So for anybody who would believe in the Lord, and they had ample evidence, you know, and you'll see that when we get to Rahab, but anybody who will believe in the God of Israel and repent of their sin and become proselytes, they were spared, okay? Uh, And that goes along with who God is. God does that throughout the entire Bible. Anybody and everybody who confesses their sin and comes to the Lord in humility and repents, God blesses. All right? So uh, it is fair and it is right. And I believe if if we were there and witnessed the stuff that the uh, Canaanites were involved in, we'd say, Lord, what took you so long? Clean house on these people. All right? So that is the command that they are given, uh, that they are to totally wipe out the Canaanites. The author of the book of Joshua is, let me see if I can think of it. Who could it be? Joshua. And why, why do I do that like that? Because all your... Brilliant theologians up at the Ivy League schools believe that Joshua didn't write Joshua. They also don't believe Grant is buried in Grant's tomb. (laughs) Now why is it important that Joshua wrote Joshua? For the same reason that Moses wrote the first five books. Because he was an eyewitness. Joshua was an eyewitness. Moses was an eyewitness. Uh, And so... He wrote what he saw and all these stories that seem so wild that, that are miracles even uh, require an eyewitness. If, there, if it's not written by eyewitnesses, they can discount the supernatural. They can discount the miracles. Oh, well, that didn't actually happen. Uh, these priests got together a thousand years later and wrote all that. No. Uh, in fact, in chapter 1, we'll see it in a minute, uh, they, they, I read one of these brilliant guys that has two doctorates up at Princeton or someplace. Uh, if you went to Princeton, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, this guy, he said, uh, in those days, they didn't, the Jews didn't even have any writing, didn't know how to write, 
They'd been slaves and were totally uneducated and couldn't have possibly written all this. <laughs> well, it says in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua tells the people, and God tells the people, take the law that Moses wrote and read it constantly, meditate on it, and do it. Carry it out. So, I mean, everything that you're reading has to be wrong for these people to be right. So this is a Bible study. So we're going to go with the Bible. <laughs> All right. So uh, he was an, the author was Joshua, and he's writing. This is a transition book. It's like the sequel to the writings of Moses. God had promised through Moses to give them the land, and they were on their way there. And now Joshua is going to take the reins, he's going to take the baton, and he's going to lead them in and give them the promised land. So this Joshua is that uh, chapter in the book, that book in the Bible, in which they receive, they take, and God gives them at the same time the promised land. And they become a nation of Israel in their own land in the book of Joshua. Okay? So chapter 1. You didn't think we'd get there. Now it came about after the death of Moses, and just a little structure here, verse 1 through 9, is God's direction to, directly to Joshua. God's going to be speaking here directly to Joshua. And we're told that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. So now that Moses is gone, he's going to start speaking, dealing with Joshua to tell the people. So God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. So you've got to cross the Jordan River. There's a little problem there. It was in flood stage. We'll find out next week it was in flood stage. <laughs> and when the Jordan River, if you go there this summer, I'm, I'm going in June and taking a group. If you're interested, let me know. But uh, during the summer, it dries up. It looks like Turtle Creek down here. I'm serious. It looks just like Turtle Creek. It's about that wide and, and everything. Uh, but in the spring, when you have the rains and all the uh, water drains in there, it, it can be as you know, wide as a mile wide, especially back in those days. When there wasn't as much being taken out of there by so many people. Uh, and so they're looking at this river that's perhaps a mile wide they're going how are we going to get across this river you know and of course we'll we'll see that in the third lesson how God's going to accomplish that but God says I want you to step out into that river cross that river by faith and then take the city of Jericho of course and so that's going to require quite a bit of faith so tell them I'm going to give them everything that they walk into, they're going to walk into the promised land and everywhere they go, that's going to be their land. From the wilderness, here's like the boundaries given. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the Euph river Euphrates, way up there to the north. I think Larry's got a map of that. There it is. There you go. So in the red there, 
uh, you can see how huge the area that God gave Israel. And you're going, well, that, that doesn't really resemble what they have today. You're right. Because what happened was God gave them all that land, but they got lazy once they'd finished fighting the battles. And you'll see that when we get to it in coming weeks with the Canaanites. For seven years, they got tired and lazy and they quit and they just took the land over there uh, that's in the brown, right over there, right there. And so that's the only land they inhabited, okay? But he actually gave them all the way up to the Euphrates River on the northeast, right there, and then down to the uh, River of Egypt on the, on the uh, southwest. So a huge piece of land God actually gave them, and they only took the smallest part. That they even that they have now, okay. But you see the uh, in in verse four there, the land that God said they could have, and He said verse five, no man will be able to stand before you because I am going to be with you. How how in the world are they going to ever go in there? And they know that there's more Canaanites than them. We're outnumbered. We're outgunned. They're in fortified cities. How are we going to do this? Anybody got any towers or siege instruments or battering rams? No, I don't, even, I don't know how to make those. So, I mean, it's, it's a quandary. It's a quandary. So God says repetitively, repetitively, be strong and courageous. That's your job. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to give you the land. Your part is to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Look at it. Verse 5, I will be with you. Why should they be strong and courageous, by the way? <laughs> because of the presence of the Lord with them. They've got to be by faith. It's got to be all about faith. And that's what the strength part, you know, the two different words. Strong in the sense, strong in faith courageous in the sense we got to go in there and actually do the fighting. I mean, if I said to this group, you've got to be strong, how, how would you accomplish that? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a little bit late for us, right, to get strong all of a sudden. You know, I don't see me lifting weights or anything trying to get strong, but I can get strong in the faith. And that's what he's telling them. Uh, be strong and courageous. He repeats about four times in this one chapter. Verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So I made this promise a long time ago to Abraham. I made it again to Isaac. I made it again to Jacob. And now I made it to Moses. And now I'm making it to you, Joshua. But your part, that's God's part to give them. What's, what's their part? Verse 7, Say it with me. What's their part? Be strong. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Remember, if you drove around the park cities in the past five years, you saw these kind of purplish signs that said, be strong and courageous. That comes from Joshua 1. And if you remember the story, uh, I may not get this perfectly right, so give me a break, but uh, I think a lady, a young lady who had five children and a husband uh, suddenly passed away. 
And the whole community came together to encourage and help that family. And so they had this big campaign where they made all these signs and literally probably half the people in all the park cities had that sign up that said, be strong and courageous. Anybody else see that? Okay. Well, that came from this chapter. And basically God's telling Joshua, look, this, this seems impossible and it seems incredibly difficult. But you be strong in the sense, you trust me, I'll be with you. And you be courageous in the sense that you step out into that river and you cross this river and you attack the city of Jericho and you take all the land that I'm giving you. Be strong and courageous. That'll be your part. Have you ever wondered about how the, uh, the free will of man and the sovereignty of God works? Some people call it predestination or free will. Well, this is it. Both in all these stories, it, both of those are happening. A lot of I've had guys say uh, that they're mutually exclusive. They can't both be right. Well, that's funny because they're in every story in the Bible. <laughs> We're called to do something, and we have the responsibility to do it and to obey it. And God says, "I will." help you. I will accomplish it. It's my will that this be done. And so that's what God's telling them. I'm going to get this done, but you have to step out in faith and obey what I'm telling you to do. And as you do that, it's going to help you, verse 8, to take the book of the law, that's Moses' writings in verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. Keep that Word of God close. Read it. Study it. Recite it to each other. Meditate on it. And then also, of course, obey it. And it will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Uh, I think he wanted to say, like your parents did... Don't be like them. I mean, why does he have to emphasize this so much? Because the previous generation already was not strong and courageous. They had no faith. But he says to, to this group, you have the faith. You be strong. You go through with it. Be strong and courageous. Don't be too scared. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord will be with you. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Well, I got anything else on... Uh... Yeah. Joshua, by the way, and this goes back to how I was introducing him. He had a lot of hats on, right? He started out as a slave, and then he was a soldier, a general, and then he was a servant to Moses, then he was a spy at Numbers, in Numbers 13, and now, in chapter 1... He's a successful leader of the people. So this guy, he was busy. Right? What else have you got? The promises of God that we just read, Israel is going to cross the river, enter the land, they're going to defeat the enemy, and he's going to give them the land as an inheritance. This is what God has promised. So why should they obey God? Because He's given them a promise and God cannot lie and He will fulfill it. What else? Okay. Uh, so, 
in verse 10 and 11, Joshua takes these commands of the Lord and now he gives them to the people in verse 10 and 11. And how, how would one guy speak to two million people? He's got a large group of leaders. They've divided up into uh, battalions and companies and what have you. So the captains or the officers, you might say, come and he gives them this information and tells them to go back and tell the people in verse 10 and 11. And then 12 through 18, he speaks to the Transjordan tribes. Can I have a map back up? The Transjordan tribes, when they got around to the east side, see where it says Petra? When they, yeah, right under the wilderness of Zen. Uh, the Transjordan tribes of Dan and Reuben and Manasseh, they saw the beautiful pasture land. They had a bunch of flocks and they said, we'd like to stay here with all this great grass for our flocks. Can we have the land on the east side of the Jordan River? And Moses had said, yes, but you've got to go in and fight the Canaanites with your brothers. You're still united, you're one nation, and all of you have to fight together. And so verse 12 through 18 is, is making sure that that's understood and that he has their agreement before they go in. And the, the uh, soldiers from these three tribes are going to actually be the shock troops. They're going to go in front of the rest of the Israeli troops. And after seven years, and they've defeated the Canaanites, then they'll be allowed to come back and settle in the land that God's giving them on the east side of the Jordan River. So they're called the Transjordan, the other side of the river tribes. Uh, and so that's what uh, verse 12 through 18 is about. And so let, let me wrap this up. Uh, the, what the New Testament uses this story, uh, in particular the Kadesh Barnea story, in Hebrews 3 and 4, the author of Hebrews says, don't be like, he's talking to the church, right? And he says, don't be like Israel at Kadesh Barnea. You have been told the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for your sins, he's atoned for your sins, and by receiving him as your Savior, accepting your pardon from God through the atoning work of Christ on the cross, you can be saved and come in to what he called your rest. Israel uh, had no rest, but they were promised rest. But that first generation never had the rest because they had to wander in the wilderness because they did not believe and they did not obey. So the New Testament author is writing to the church and says, don't be like them. Believe God's word. Accept his offer of Christ as your Savior. Believe it and obey his words so that you can enter into the rest that God has promised you through Jesus Christ, i.e. heaven. So he uses the example of Israel in the wilderness not believing, not obeying, so they never got to rest. But he says to the church, you've been promised heaven. This, this world, this life is tough. It's a struggle. 
But there is going to be a rest for the followers of Christ at the end. Don't miss it. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with these great stories. And I pray, Lord, that you'd uh, open, uh, open them up to us as we go through this study of Joshua. Just enlighten us uh, so we can see the history of Israel as they were your mediators on earth. Uh, and Lord, I pray that we'd also uh, learn lessons from it ourselves and, and be able to apply it to our own lives. It's so important to believe and to respond to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.